0: I believe through AI is to have a better understanding of what is your potential to start with. So I go back to the metrics. I go back to what is the power I can produce for how long at what intensity and so on and understand how how much fatigue I will I will generate. On on all that aspect, which is a little upfront, it's a feeding to the to the algorithm of, of race prediction, that's where AI can provide definitely a boost.
1: Hello and welcome to the June 30th, 2023 edition of the TriDoc podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. This past weekend was supposed to mark my once-delayed and long-awaited, at least by me, beginning to the triathlon season. Unfortunately, while I made it all the way to mont Quebec, and even felt somewhat reasonably ready to go, the weather patterns were simply unwilling to cooperate, and for the second time in my life, I did not start a race that I was signed up for at the same venue. Back in 2014, you see, I was a couple of days away from leaving for my first ever 70.3 World Championship that was being held in the very same Mont Tremblant. when I crashed my bike on my very last training ride and sustained a fractured scapula. I made the trip anyway, since I'd already paid for everything and there was no way to get anything back at that late stage, and I vowed to come back someday and race in my home province on what looked to be a really spectacular course. Well, fast forward to this year, and after my forced two-month layoff, I was anxious about racing, but all the same, happy to give Tremblant a go at last. My training had been short in duration, but pretty high quality, and I actually felt reasonably ready to go. Unfortunately, while the day before the race had been beautiful and clear, a shift in the weather pattern overnight resulted in a dramatic change, with dense smoke from the multitude of wildfires burning in Quebec blowing in over the area and radically altering the environment. You quite literally could not see the swim boys out on the lake, and the smell of smoke was as thick as the layer of ash that was covering all of the bikes that had been checked in the day before in transition. A lot of people were really uneasy in transition, with many deciding they simply weren't going to race because the air made it too risky for them. I met several people with asthma who were just there to get their stuff and leave. Personally, I was torn. I have discussed the impacts of poor air quality on this podcast before, and I knew how ill advised it was to race in these conditions, but I kind of found myself in a tough spot. I'd come all this way. I was so anxious to finally race, and, I mean, it's only going to be for a few hours, right? Would it really be so bad? I knew the answer in my mind, of course, but my heart was just not going to let me make the right decision. In the end, I was glad that the public health officials made the decision for us. At 6.25, just minutes before transition was set to be closed, the race director came on to the PA, and I knew immediately what he was going to say. Sure enough, he announced that because of the severe danger posed by the very bad air quality, the race was unfortunately going to have to be cancelled. Much to my surprise, this was greeted by a smattering of applause, and I completely understood why. I could tell as soon as the announcement began what was going to be said, and I was completely at peace with it. Not only that, I can say that I actually felt a bit of relief. Now I wouldn't find myself doing something dumb in pursuit of momentary self-fulfillment. Thank goodness there were some adults in the room looking out for me. Am I disappointed at how this played out? Of course. I also recognize that I'm very fortunate. I was in the area for a full week, visiting with family and friends, and had not planned my whole time away just to be around this race. I've also done a lot of these races, and this wasn't my first that I'd been training hard for and eagerly anticipating for months on end like so many people who were there. And I also have the means, such that I can more easily accept the sunk costs involved in the travel and everything else that I incurred to be there more than a lot of others can. But at the end of the day, no matter what anyone's situation, I'm pretty certain that they saw the wisdom in the decision to cancel, and that after processing any immediate disappointment or even anger they may have felt about it, they would have felt like I did, that there was just nothing to be done for it and just move on. I don't know if it's a reflection of an increasing reality of cancellations or modifications of events or if it's just a reflection of a change in the athlete to recognize the reality of of our evolving world. But there does not seem to be the same level of hostility and fury at these kinds of occurrences when they happen, given that they are so clearly outside the capacity of race organizers to plan for or adapt to. I definitely don't think that it's a good thing that we are seeing more of this, believe me. I am certain that this will become much more common. But I do think that how we handle these things as athletes can go a long way towards ensuring that we don't waste a lot of unnecessary energy, hating on the wrong people, and making our own experience even worse than what it has to be when this happens. Now, clearly, the blow of all of this was softened by what Probably was the most shocking part of the whole story that came 48 hours later, when I opened an email from Ironman that contained some very welcome and surprising news. For the first time that I know of, Ironman was offering some incredibly generous options for those of us who had signed up for the race. First, they had somehow been able to reschedule the 2023 event to be held the same day as the full Ironman on August the 20th, so anyone who wanted to compete that day could now do so. For others, there were four additional options, and all of them were free. First, you could upgrade to the full Ironman on the 20th of August, again, without incurring any extra cost. You could defer to any other open 70.3 in North America this year, with the caveat that spots are limited. Defer to the 2024 70.3 in Trombla, or, and this was most surprisingly and most welcome, get a full refund. Now I'm not aware of this kind of flexibility being offered before by Ironman, and I think that it means that they have finally listened to athletes who have vented for years about wanting exactly this kind of service when events have to be cancelled. So while it was a long time coming, I give full marks to the corporation to listening and executing in such a fine fashion. For what it's worth. I personally am unable to take advantage of any of the options except for the refund, so Trombla will remain on my list of events to do. I hope to get back there someday. On the show today, life sport coach and former Olympic rower Juliette Hockman joins me for the medical mailbag when we will discuss a delicious topic, and that is chocolate milk. And specifically, whether or not it is everything that big milk, <laughs> the milk producers, if you will, would want us to think it is when it comes to recovery. And that conversation is coming up shortly. Later, I am joined by Eric Abacassis. Eric is the CEO and founder of Humango, or Humango, a company in Boulder, Colorado, that is looking to incorporate artificial intelligence into triathlon coaching. It's a novel concept and something that I was very intrigued in when I first heard about it. Will computer algorithms be likely to replace human coaches? And should we all worry that Skynet is getting closer to reality? Gosh, I hope that at least a few of you out there get that reference. Well, that conversation is coming up a little later. Before all of that, I want to take a moment once again to thank all of my Patreon supporters of this podcast who have decided that for about the price of a cup of coffee per month, they could sign up to support this program and in so doing get access to bonus interviews and other segments that come out about every month or so. For North American subscribers at the $10 per month level of support, I also have a special thank you gift for you in the form of a pretty cool Boko Tridoc podcast running hat. So I hope that you'll visit my Patreon site today at patreon.com forward slash Tridoc podcast and become a supporter so that you too can get access and maybe this cool gift as well. And as always, a thank you in advance, just for considering. And we are back with the medical mailbag. It is time once again for me to be joined by my friend, my colleague, Juliette Hockman, coach at LifeSport, world champion at 70.3 and sprint distances for triathlon. Juliet, how are you doing?
2: I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Juliet. I know as a longtime athlete that you are probably aware of having come across advertisements like this one. The best way to reach your goal tomorrow is to start today. After a workout, your body needs fluids, carbs, and protein to rehydrate, refuel, and recharge. A serving of chocolate milk within 30 minutes of working out delivers an ideal mix of what your body needs. To help make tomorrow's workout better today,
0: recharge with milk.
2: I think of that bunny that used to be on commercials, remember? I can't remember. Which Nesquik, one. The, Nesquik, Nesquik. Exactly, yeah. the Nesquik bunny. Exactly, the Nesquik bunny jumping around. You're right. I've seen a lot of information about this anecdotally. Uh, a number of pro triathletes have chocolate milk sponsors. I hear them talking about it. And for a long time, I thought, this is just the oddest thing. This is this thing we've drunk since childhood, and now they're telling us it's a great recovery drink. So I'm really curious to hear what your research has sort of un. Uncovered about all of this. I did a little bit of my own last night and found an unbelievable number of studies on the benefits of chocolate milk. So, looking forward to hearing the summary, and I'm sure I'll have some questions as you go along.
1: Well, it's one of those things where if the advertisement tells you what you want to hear, like, I mean, who doesn't want to have a good reason to drink chocolate milk? Hey, I, if I, if I gave you an advertisement that was like, French fries are good. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, 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 and French fries are going to make you faster or whatever. Then I, I'm sure that everybody would not really think twice about it. They'd just be like, Hey, did you hear French fries are awesome? And who doesn't want to be given permission to drink chocolate milk? Right. 100%. Now, I, I will say that the small print in that advertisement that I played, it does say low-fat chocolate milk. <laughs> Which, Aww. Yeah, I know, right? Right on <laughs> our parade. But that chocolate milk still tastes good, even if it's low-fat. Now, where does this come from? Where I, I I actually haven't got a clue where this comes from. I, I, I assume... Now, it, it's interesting. Most of the advertising is actually from the Milk Council in Canada. Canada has a milk... Gosh, it's like a protectorate system. It's almost like the OPEC of milk. Milk <laughs> is subsidized in Canada, and there is a guaranteed pricing for farmers. And American farmers love to complain about this, but oh my gosh, would they love to have the same thing? Because it guarantees their income. They do well. The their farming is a is is much more of a profitable good in, good livelihood in Canada because the government keeps the prices not not so much fixed, but more controlled. And so the Milk Council does a very good job of making people consume milk and make those dairy producers happy about that. And I, I, I couldn't find exactly where this all comes from and if the studies actually were funded by the Milk Council at some point, but I think we've known for a long time that when you go out and exert yourself for a long period of time, it's important to replenish some of the things that you've lost. So you need to replenish certainly carbohydrates. You need to replenish some protein to to repair some of the muscles that you've injured while you've been out there working out hard. And you need to get some of those micronutrients back, some of the electrolytes, some of the things that you wouldn't necessarily think about, like calcium, which we all know milk is a good source of, right? And vitamin D, all the things that we think about as, as important. Important for immune immune health and our bodies in general. And so somebody at some point thought, gosh, I could find all these things in my glass of milk and why not make it chocolate milk because everybody loves chocolate milk. And so somebody studied it at some point. I, I think the questions that I have when I look at this and when I've looked at the studies and the reason that I actually came across this and the reason I thought about it as a subject was because it was a study that that just came out very, very recently. I just found it and it, it kind of made me pause because we've just accepted that chocolate milk is such a great thing but there was this paper that just came out this year and it, it's titled milk protein ingestion does not enhance recovery from muscle damaging resistance exercise so i thought whoa wait a minute we, I, I i've bought into this whole chocolate don't milk burst thing. My don't,
2: bubble, baby. Yeah.
1: <laughs> don't take that away from me but but the nuances in the paper are actually such that that's it's not really a great title. So we'll get to that in a second. But so where does this chocolate milk come from? So the the thing, the idea is, as we said, you go out, you exercise hard, you break down some muscle, you need some protein, you definitely need some carbohydrates. And chocolate milk is a good source of all of those things. Now, I think when we ask ourselves, is chocolate milk the recovery liquid? We need to ask ourselves, like, "What what are they saying? Are they saying that chocolate milk is better than everything else out there? they're kind of suggesting that. But the reality is, is that if you if you look at the studies, and, and we found a really good one, which is chocolate milk for recovery from exercise, a systematic review and meta analysis of controlled clinical trials. And this was from back in 2019. So it's a couple of years ago now. But it was a really, really good study. It, it pulled together a fairly large data set from a whole bunch of different studies. And it compared chocolate milk to all of these other kinds of recovery drinks. And it turns out that chocolate milk isn't necessarily better than anything else. It's it's just as good as everything else. And so we need to then ask, well, what is it about chocolate milk? Is, Is the milk protein itself somehow better than what other things are? Because, okay, so there are studies that look at a chocolate milk versus water okay, I think we can take it on face value that chocolate milk is going to be better than nothing. If you take a glass of water for recovery, you're not going to do as well as if you take a glass of chocolate milk. But the same would be true if you took any kind of recovery drink. If you took a a vegan source of protein and added some carbohydrates in the form of whatever, chocolate or whatever you want, it's going to do just as well as milk protein. So chocolate milk versus water, chocolate milk is going to do better. Chocolate milk versus other kinds of protein shakes or protein-containing carbohydrate solutions, no different. They're about the same. And then chocolate milk, milk protein versus other protein, and that's the study I just looked at, and that's the one that kind of got my, piqued my curiosity here, and that's milk protein versus other protein. Turns out they're about the same. So there's nothing magic about chocolate milk. So I think then we need to ask ourselves, so what is it exactly that the milk producers are promising us because they're talking about how chocolate milk is so great for recovery. So when I think about recovery, I think, okay, I just finished a really hard workout. What do I want from my recovery? I want to feel better quicker. I don't want to feel tired. I don't want to feel sore. But more importantly, I want to be able to get back as soon as possible and work out just as hard as I just did. To me, that's the most important thing about recovery. And you know what? Not one of these studies have ever looked at that. So despite the fact that you're looking at these advertisements and the advertisement I I just played for Juliet is one that shows this woman who was working really hard in the gym doing the super hard spin class and then she goes to bed after having her glass of chocolate milk and then she gets up the next morning and she just rips through this mountain bike course and wins her race. And it's all because she had that glass of chocolate milk. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Right. But I I mean, knowing knowing what you've just pointed out, that chocolate milk and other recovery drinks are similar or almost identical in terms of their benefits for recovery. I mean, aren't we talking then about the difference maker being, one, accessibility. You can get it at any corner store. And two, price, right? I mean, you can go – you can stop – 10 minutes before the end of your ride and have your chocolate milk It's right there at the 7-Eleven. I do not um,
1: want the point of this to be to knock chocolate milk. I am a huge lover (laughs) of chocolate milk. And I think that chocolate milk deserves its reputation as a recovery drink. But I think it's important also just to tease out what we mean by recovery because that is – the issue. Because I I, I want to highlight again, and I've talked about some other things for recovery. So we've talked about Normatex in the past. We've talked about compression clothing for recovery. We've talked about a lot of different things that are advertised for recovery. And I don't think recovery as a concept is really explained very well. So when you look at the chocolate milk studies, when they talk about recovery, they look specifically at an enzyme in the blood, serum creatinine kinase i oh, sorry, serum creatine kinase, which is CK. And CK gets released into the bloodstream whenever you exert yourself particularly hard. Anytime you do a hard exertion, and that can be through weight training, it can be through running, it can be through biking, whatever you're doing, you get this leakage of the muscle fibers and and CK, creatine kinase, gets leaked into the bloodstream and you can measure it. And all of these studies, they, they measure CK concentrations and they kind of measure it over time. And they kind of infer through the fact that, hey, if we give people chocolate milk versus water, CK levels decrease faster. And so therefore, chocolate milk must be leading to improved recovery. And when you correlate CK levels to muscle soreness, muscle soreness also gets better when you drink chocolate milk. And and those things are are true. They are related. CK leakage tends to be related to muscle soreness and delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS. And and if you drink chocolate milk, you will have less of CK, you will have less of soreness, you will have less of DOMS. But nobody has looked at whether or not any of this translates to improved performance. And when I talked about Normatex, it was the same thing. People who use Normatex, they feel great. But in the case of Normatex, they actually have looked at Performance, subsequent performance, and Normatex do nothing to actually make you imp- perform better the day after. They just make you feel better when you're using them. And again, like I've said in the past, I I don't take that away. I mean, if, if they make you feel good, I think that's worth a lot. And and if if you want to spend your money on Normatex so that you get that positive psychological benefit, why not? And hey, you want to drink chocolate milk because it makes you feel good? Absolutely. And like you said, it's cheap, it's available, it's everywhere, and it does have these chemical benefits but and i think this is the big leap that these advertisers are taking these advertisers are saying oh well we have these studies that show these chemical benefits we have these uh, studies that suggest there's these biochemical magic that chocolate milk does and therefore oh it's going to make you perform better the next day too that's not the case there is not a single study that has ever shown that and in fact there are studies that have shown exactly the opposite
2: okay so i get it i understand the point I guess the question would be, is there any recovery drink out there that has these studies performed that shows that it does improve performance in your next workout? I mean, if if so, if we're looking at chocolate milk versus the competition, is chocolate milk just as good because nobody has any proof positive that there's any particular recovery drink that could benefit that crushing mountain bike ride the next morning?
1: No, you're right. That's. I mean, yeah, I just want to make the point, though, that that what you're being promised and what actually is going to happen are two different things. And yeah, and and, and no, there isn't really anything. The only thing that's going to make you perform well the next day is rest. Right, Right. (laughs) you have to recover. You have to actually recover. There's, everybody's looking for the 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 shortcut, the shortcut to recovery, and 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 I just don't want people thinking that oh, if I drink the chocolate milk, I'm going to be able to go out and hammer the next day. You know, so my glass of chocolate
2: milk followed by my three glasses of wine is probably not going to improve recovery for the next day.
1: (laughs) It's going to improve a lot of things though. Your quality of life, your mental state, right?
2: (laughs) Okay. And you is there a difference between chocolate milk and just regular milk? Like, Is there something in the chocolate that makes it that much better?
1: That's a really good question, and it hasn't been compared one-on-one. There's a lot of studies that look at milk versus other things, and there's a lot of studies that look at chocolate milk versus other things, but there's nothing that actually compares chocolate milk to milk. We do know that chocolate contains a lot of things that have sort of these magical properties, right? It's got these xanthines, a similar kind of chemicals that we see in coffee that are supposed to be anti-inflammatory, that are supposed to have all kinds of free radical consumption, and that are supposed to do all kinds of things that we can't really put our finger on. We also know that chocolate improves well-being and and psychological state. So now the problem is is that the chocolate being used in Nesquik, it's not the chocolate we're talking about here, right? right. It's I it's going to be high sugar, high, mm-hmm. and that's high sucrose. It's not processed like, it's refined yeah. sugar, yeah. So right. it's not the good stuff. Now you can get chocolate milk that's made with like the good stuff, but you're going to not find that at Seven Eleven, and you're going right. to be paying a lot more for it, right? So, no, I, I, I personally, just based on my gestalt, is that regular milk versus what you're buying at the store of chocolate milk is probably going to be the same. Personally, okay. I don't love milk, but I do like chocolate milk. Chocolate <laughs> milk, right. The sugar, right? So why okay, not? Okay,
2: now, I, I saw one study that said that dairy milk versus soy milk versus hemp milk all had equal benefits. But that doesn't make sense to me because of what we know about animal proteins, versus not. So can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, so it goes to the study that I looked at, which talked about milk protein versus other kinds of proteins. And and this study looks at exactly that question. The other proteins in the study were vegetable proteins. So they were derived from other non-animal sources. And there's really nothing magical about whey. Mm-hmm. Whey being the protein that's in milk is is doesn't contain any different amino acids than we see in some of these vegetable proteins. For the most part, there may be some individual amino acid composition at some different. But for the most part, you're getting pretty much the same kind of protein that you need in order to, because let's face it, you swallow this stuff, it gets broken down into individual amino acids and then absorbed and then reconstituted into the protein that we need. So it's just a matter of whether or not we're getting the right amino acid composition when we ingest this stuff. And there's pretty good reason to think that the vegetable proteins do provide adequate amounts of amino acid that we, as long as you're taking the right amount, like I just looked in my fridge, well, I have soy milk here, and I mean, it's got a pretty good dose of protein in it. So that, that just goes to some of these other studies that suggest that vegetable proteins do work just as well as the animal proteins. Now, where I think the big difference comes in things like iron. Now, milk doesn't contain iron, but when you, when you think about animal proteins, you often think of animal, like meat products, so that, that contains heme iron, and, and vegetarian diets lack heme iron. So that, that's a, But that's a whole other subject, and that's not really related to recovery. Okay.
2: And do any of these studies say anything about whether chocolate milk or, frankly, any recovery drink has more impact based on the either the duration or the intensity of the workout? Like, can I have my chocolate milk after a half an hour recovery ride? It has the same impact after a three-hour ride with efforts, for example. <laughs> What's the, Any thoughts about that?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, most of these studies look at a pretty intense effort. So a lot of the studies look at weight training and they look at, at a specific lift until failure. So they're really looking at, at hard stuff. And then some of the cycling and the rowing is also really high intensity. They're looking for lactate threshold type workouts. They're not really looking at short Brief duration, not much going on, type stuff. I mean, you can always have a glass of chocolate milk. I think, I and I want to emphasize again, this stuff is not low calorie, right? right? Especially if you're drinking whole milk. If you're drinking low fat milk, better one, two percent. Although I think it's pretty hard to find one percent or even non fat chocolate milk. Most of it is two percent. And remember that it is a lot of sugar because you're getting the lactose from the milk itself, and then you're getting all of the added sugar that went in with the chocolate. But I mean, that's what you want it for, right? It's a recovery drink because you're replenishing your carbohydrates, and then you're getting this boost of the protein. So, Mm -hmm. I I think to take it after like a short workout is probably not necessary, but but enjoyable, enjoyable.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, it looks like we're always in those recovery drinks, whether it's milk or something else. It looks like we're always looking for that four to one or three to one carb to protein kind of ratio right and that's what's being heralded about the
1: chocolate milk yeah yeah it's just kind of that natural thing and i scratch makes a scratch makes a a mix and they make it in chocolate and in coffee and it comes in exactly that ratio it's a vegetarian based protein but and it doesn't have quite as much refined sugar but it does have carbohydrates but most of their carbohydrates tend to be in more less sucrose so yeah i mean yeah all the but again chocolate milk's just as good and it's cheaper and it's more available Yeah.
2: So interesting. All right. Well I'm gonna go out and buy my gallon of my gallon my gallon of chocolate milk. There you right go. The there you go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I have noticed is that Chocolate soy milk is delicious. I love chocolate soy milk, but it's really hard to find. It's not easily accessible, and certainly not as available as chocolate milk. And like like you said, you, you're doing a hard ride, and you're out there. and You just want to stop at a 7-Eleven and grab something. And chocolate milk's everywhere. Chocolate soy milk is never available. So yeah, right. something something else to consider. You're
2: gonna have to go well, with the vanilla soy milk instead.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Juliette, This was a good one. I like the uh, the short and uh, concise topics are are, are really. Easy to sort of sink your teeth into and get a quick answer, and and of course chocolate milk helpful for the teeth because of the calcium. So there we go. We can we could tie it all together with a nice little bow there.
2: for sure. Just brush your teeth afterwards, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, right. if Thanks, you have Jeff. a question. Yeah. If you have a question for us to consider on the medical mailbag, I hope that you will uh, consider sending it in. You can email me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. Or you can join the private Facebook group that I have for the podcast. You can uh, answer the three simple questions that I have there. I'll grant you entrance and you can join the conversation, submit your questions, and we will consider bringing it here to answer for you. Juliet, thanks again for joining me and uh, we'll see you again next time.
2: Thanks for having me, Jeff. Have a good week.
1: My guest on the podcast today is the founder and CEO of Humango, Eric Abikasas. Eric is an age group triathlete from France who moved to Boulder, Colorado three years ago and has always personified in his own ways the beauty that sits at the intersection of technology and passion. Eric has achieved the kind of sport-life balance that many of us can only dream of. And recently, he has brought together a team of like-minded sports and life enthusiasts, experts in training AI, machine learning, recovery, and more in order to build an app to help everyone to do the same, regardless of whether or not you're at the beginning, middle, or peak of your training journey. And that app is the aforementioned Humango, an AI-powered smart smartphone program that promises to improve athletic motivation and performance. Well, Eric has agreed to join me today to tell us about what Humango is what it can do, and whether or not we all need to be worried about our coaches being replaced by AI. Welcome to the TriDoc podcast, Eric. Hi, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me today. Well, first and foremost, what is Humango?
0: Yeah, in in a nutshell, Humango is an app that will help people to follow a structured training and get feedback and get the adaptive training plan that they need to adjust their life their work life their family life and their sport life so it's really building a training plan dynamically based on your goal your fitness your availability and continue to update this training plan as you're progressing through your journey
1: where did you get the idea to make such a program
0: that's a Funny story. So in 2016, I was lucky enough to qualify for Kona. But I just got a new job, very busy job. And basically, I was not able to train. So I I trained roughly maybe six, eight hours a week for an Ironman. And I showed up in Kona because it was just fun to be there. And I did a a reasonable performance, but obviously very far from, from what I can do with my full potential. Then 2018 I was in the same journey I qualified for Kona again and this time I had plenty of time so I trained a lot and it turns out that I trained so much that I ended up being overtrained and my performance in 2018 even though I had plenty of time to train were barely the same as in 2016 that was the wake-up call I mean we're producing so much data and must be a way to understand this data and guide me and guide all the athletes and Doing really the right balance. Yeah. Pushing, but not pushing too much. Finding what is this fine line to, to go after it. So that was really the, the trigger. That was this disappointment in Kona in 18 and thinking, yeah, there must be a better way to, to train. And if, if technology can help and can help coaches as well to look uh, after all the data that we're producing. And it's just an endless uh, amount of data that we're producing more and more and more and more devices. So, yeah, that was really the the beginning of the story. And then looking at AI, because that was my job at the time, and thinking about applying to my passion, which is uh, human performance.
1: So give us some examples, sort of real-world examples of how the product is used and how athletes or even coaches can make use of it and make use of all the data that they're collecting. How does it work to help an athlete become motivated and more successful? So
0: this, the step one is when we're doing the onboarding or any time after that, you can always go back to that. You're already building your season. What, what are the goals that, that you want to achieve, whether you're planning for an Ironman, a, a 10K, a cycling criteria, what, what whatever is motivating you. So you create your season. It could be multiple goals. And the, the first step is Hugo, or the AI coach inside Humango, will basically build your periodization. So it will make some big block of training that are going to be specific to make you progressing through your journey in, in a way to be prepared for a race day. Then from there, what we have done with the, with the team inside Humango is that we've built coaching strategy for each of these goals that we are handling. So as I said, we are handling running goals, cycling goals, triathlon goals, duathlon, swim run, you name it. And for each of these goals, for each of the different distance, we have a, a goal strategy. And that's what's going to be consumed by the engine, this goal strategy to produce a plan that will be combining the goal strategy, your availability, and your fitness and fatigue. And that is producing a complete detailed plan week by week that can continuously be updated. Every time you do something that is different than what was planned, Hugo is able to use this engine to recalculate what is the optimal path between today and race day to bring you in the best possible shape for your, your big day.
1: Now, you mentioned fitness, fatigue, those kinds of things. Where are the inputs coming to make those determinations?
0: So as part of the plan, we're using the external stress that is calculated from all the activities that you're doing, as well as planning for the future, all the activities that you have in your, in your calendar, in your plan. So that gives us an indication of how much load you're going to accumulate the fitness is going to be calculated using a banister model that will allow the the system to understand how we can make that progressing in the right direction, and in addition to that, we're also collecting qualitative feedback such as how you feel every day, so we have a little a little pop up that is bringing you that, that question on the on the fly. You also have that information for every workout. So we're analyzing this qualitative data. We are connecting to your health data through the device that you're using, whether it is your smartwatch or a ring or, or whoop. So we're collecting also information such as resting heart rate, HRV, and that is giving us an overall view on what is your fatigue at a certain point that will be used by the system to adjust.
1: Now, I asked you this question when we chatted uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to ask it again. Is this meant to replace coaches? Is this a coach killer of sorts?
0: Yeah, so absolutely not. The The intention that, that we, we have with Humango is to make the job of the coach much more focused on the athlete and remove from the task list the things that can be automated. So the vision we have is really to be able to build augmented coaches that will leverage technology in order to focus more on their athlete to put more time on the key aspect that they are where they are really bringing the, the value so whether it is to support psychologically the athlete whether it is to understand where they are in their journey with more subtle ways than ai can do for the foreseeable future whether it is discussing about how to be mentally prepared for your race, how to do things that will be very specific to improve your form. We only read from the device what we can read. There is more that can be exchanged through an interaction with a coach. So there are many aspects where the coach will continue to be absolutely differentiation. But what I envision with Humango is that we will bring far more people to the understanding of what is a structured training and the benefit that it can bring. And in that way, we're going to bring a bigger pipeline of people that will be interested in going to the next level and see, okay, that's how far I can do or I can go with uh, an app like Humango. Now, I would like to go to the next level. I would like to get a coach and and bring me to a, a full potential, which the AI will still be limited in these days.
1: Now, how much input or how much control does a coach have over what Humango produces or provides to an athlete? Like, does a coach get to screen what's going to be generated or is it all after the fact? How, how, how is the coach interacting with Humango and the athlete?
0: So we made it completely configurable for the coach and it could be even by athlete to decide what the athlete will see directly. So the coach can receive all the feedback and, and recommendation from Hugo, but the athlete will not see that if the coach decides. So, so in that sense, they can indeed validate if the, if the comment is meaningful so it serves as an information, a reminder and alert of some sort. Then, for the plan, it's the same. They can deactivate the automatic replan, so they are in control when things are being replanned. and so they can launch the replan themselves and then validate that the generated plan is aligned with what they know of their athlete, and they can make all the modification on the generated plan. There is another element that I think it's important to mention is they also have the ability to refine the strategy that's going to be used for a given athlete ahead of time and in that sense they can control for each of their athlete what Hugo is going to generate as as a training plan so they can act as the strategy level or they can act at the tactical level if you want with the plan that is being generated we even have the possibility for them to create their own goal strategy that they will apply to all the athletes they want And that can be their branded goal strategy that's going to be used by Hugo Engine. But now it's really their strategy, their workout that can be used by the
1: engine. So who right now are your sort of more numerous consumers? Is it athletes or is it coaches? At the moment,
0: we have more more athletes than coaches. But we start to see a, a growing interest with coaches. It is an education, I think, as you... Uh, mentioned with your question in terms of the the fear that is that something that is replacing the coach job, and I think it requires a little bit of understanding on how a coach can leverage that technology to coach in a m- more effective way because now they have more time in the end to to focus on on their athlete or potentially also to offer different business model where they will have a light touch coaching. They can still be there to support their their athlete, but the athlete will mostly train with the AI-generated plan and the coach is there to answer questions or support them in specific point. but then give them a, a scalability that has never been achieved before in terms of coaching business. So we definitely are looking now and and getting some more and more traction and interest from many coaches all around the world that start to see the potential of using the platform to do different type of coaching.
1: And who then are these athletes? Are they predominantly triathletes? Are they predominantly runners? I'm just curious, what what is right now the demographics of who's using this?
0: A a very interesting question, because at the beginning, I will say, we, we started very much with triathlete. But by now, there is a nice distribution across runners, cyclists, triathletes, and also at all different levels. We clearly have people that are competing to get a podium spot, and we also have athletes that are basically getting into their first half marathon and they really would like to be guided in that journey. So we have really people all across the board from really beginners to, to more serious competitive athletes.
1: So you've mentioned some of the areas where you, you see that Humango really excels. What do you think some of the areas are that AI just is not able to fill in other words where where you you kind of alluded a little bit to how coaches are still needed but but where does a program like humango need to be augmented by a real life coach
0: so there are many aspects where where that will still bring a lot of value to the athletes definitely one aspect i will say is when you have a coach, a human coach, you're creating a, a unique relationship with the, with the coach. Is, is your mentor? Is someone you trust? Is someone you feel comfortable going to when things are not working the way you want? And even with the recent progress of ChatGPT, I doubt that you can have this kind of relationship with, with a machine. So, And I think that's a very important part because at the end, realizing your potential as an athlete has a lot to do with the mental state you are in. And that's a place where the coach can really help you, giving you the hard time when you need to and get you moving and also be supportive when when things are really tough. So that's definitely an an entire area where I, I see the coach being absolutely a differentiation from the perspective of athlete training. The other element, and that goes into a little bit of technology here, if I, if I may, is that AI is really good at recognizing patterns. So if you've seen something, you're able to recognize in slightly different contexts that the same thing is apparently happening. So when it comes to fatigue, that's definitely a good candidate. I mean, people are going all over through many, many cycles of, of load, fatigue, and, and you can understand that. When it comes to improving your performance, that's a much more subtle way of of trying to understand, especially if you are still in the phase of progressing, if you're not kind of someone who has been training for 15 years and you already know what's your plateau and you just want to get back to your plateau every season. But if you're an athlete that is upcoming athlete and I don't know your potential, the machine doesn't know your potential, And it's it's almost impossible to predict because it's outside of what the machine has seen. And in that sense, that's where the intuition of a human coach will make a world of difference. And this ability to understand what do I need to try with this athlete to push this athlete to the next level in a way that we're going to explore that. And that is something that the machine is very far from doing and that a human coach will still be absolutely key there.
1: Where do you see the future of AI and athletics? Uh, how, How do you see this kind of moving forward? Can AI be applied to other kind of things? Like, for example, could AI be used to try and help identify those who might be cheating in sport? Can AI be used to help in trying to predict race outcomes based on current fitness things like that where, where, where do you see the future of ai in this kind of arena
0: so i, I don't know about predicting the result of a race <laughs> even though there, there could be a good a good case there but but i don't know if that's gonna have a, a real impact on the on the, the future of multi-sport with with ai where where i think that for the every Everyday athlete where uh, there is a lot of potential is the AI being able to understand your technique. I mean, I can take that example being a, a weak swimmer. There is a lot that can be done just by analyzing videos automatically. And, and they are doing that for very high end athletes. Uh, but making that available to, uh, to everybody, to everyday's athletes, that's going to be a great improvement that I think will come improving the the understanding of how to predict metrics like i mean lactate i think there is a lot of room for improvement on how we can predict from existing data and not always having to go and do a, and do a, a lab test for determining your lactate threshold or, or vo2 max and so on so i think definitely that's an area where there will be a great a great deal of improvement Clearly, in these days of of ChatGPT, the people will rethink the way they are searching for information and getting guidance. So, I mean, so far you were Googling something and trying to search through the Google algorithm to, to find whatever information is relevant. I think this will kind of go through a, a complete revolution with ChatGPT that's going to become the, the predominant way uh, to go after guidance and recommendation as general information. So... That's definitely going to change the way you access information.
1: Well, you've mentioned ChatGPT a couple of times, and I kind of want to go off a little bit in that direction, because just yesterday, we're recording this on May 25th, and just yesterday, I saw a piece in the news where the OpenAI Foundation, the people who are responsible for ChatGPT, actually made the comment that they are concerned. They feel that AI needs to be more closely scrutinized and regulated because they're worried that it poses an existential threat in their words and so i find myself having watched enough movies since i was a teenager and watching the explosion of ai and seeing some of the stuff that's come out in the last few months since chat gpt uh, hit the mainstream how much do we need to be worried about the skynet kind of potential of all of this
0: I think that the mistake, if there is any mistake to, to be made, is going to be a, a human mistake. One important element to understand, and that's not always so obvious when you are using ChatGPT and interacting with ChatGPT, is ChatGPT has no notion of any common sense. And, and that's what is driving us. We have this common sense that allows us to put things in perspective ChatGPT doesn't doesn't have it's a, it's just a prediction machine to say what's the best next word and potentially best next action to take based on massive amount of learning that it got but knowing if this action or if this sentence makes any sense or as a risk of offending someone or having a risk of harming someone is is completely outside of the, of the realm of what ChatGPT can do. So there are some mechanism to control that, to kind of do some control loop, but they are only limited to whatever control loop has been added to ChatGPT. So I would say that it's, it's important to understand this, this, this distinction. ChatGPT has no consciousness. And, and in that such, there are things that it can do well, and there are things that it's going to be very dangerous to ask ChatGPT to do. And that's why I say if there if there is a problem in the future is because humans are getting over themselves and try and start to think that this fake human personality is a a real human personality. But it's not. It's just a prediction machine to decide what seems to be the next best response.
1: Yeah, I think you've sort of identified a fatal flaw in the whole system, and that is the notion that we believe humans have common sense. I think the last decade or so has proven that there is a dearth of common sense in too many humans, and now letting these folks run amok and have access to ChatGPT and other AI engines is, I think, what is raising eyebrows and the alarm, perhaps, amongst the people at OpenAI. Obviously not something that we need to worry about with uh, respect to Humango, but uh, definitely uh, concerning when we see the explosion of AI and the explosion of kinds of applications that AI is being used for. I think it's very interesting that AI has been brought to bear in the, the way that you are bringing it to bear. I, I I just want to return to the question that I asked you a little while ago because I was asking about the idea that could AI be used to predict results of of our kinds of races, and I guess I wasn't really thinking predicting the winner. I was thinking more along the lines of something like uh, when we think of best bike split, Best bike split, we input different aspects, how much does our bike weigh, we look at the course, and and it gives us a pretty accurate uh, estimation of what we can expect our bike split to be. Uh, I'm curious if you think AI can do one better, and uh, if it's followed our training, and if it's looked at how we've been doing uh, in the lead up to a race, how or could it potentially give us predictions of what to expect in a race?
0: Yeah, so that's a very interesting question indeed, and, and a topic that is dear to our heart. So on a, on a best bike split type of, of, of engine, they're using a lot of the, of the physics. So it's a first science principle to, to be able to decompose based on a certain number of parameters. What should be the, the time it's going to take, assuming that you have an optimal distribution of your, of your power throughout your race? The thing where we can improve from there is not necessarily on that calculation because that calculation is relatively scientifically based and it's relatively accurate. There are different ways and to do that. Different, different engines are doing that. Where we can improve, I believe, through AI is to have a better understanding of what is your potential to start with. So I go back to the metrics I go back to what is the power I can produce for how long at what intensity and so on, and understand how how much fatigue I will I will generate. On, on all that aspect, which is a little upfront, it's a feeding to the to the algorithm of, of race prediction, that's where AI can provide definitely a boost. And I think there is room for doing better than what we are doing so far and, and improving that. Now I would like to say that and my own experience and a lot of people I discuss with, there is obviously a huge amount of mental readiness. And all my best races have been on days where I feel I was in the flow. And, and that sense is very hard to predict. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mental state that you have to be there. It has to be also combined with physical preparation That is really the differentiation of on that day, are you going to really deliver the best of yourself and feeling so good about it or struggling through the race and struggling with the inner voice that is telling you to give up or to drop the intensity uh, during your your effort.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because I, I I think about the the two kind of poster boys for science in their training, and that's going to be Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden, right? I mean, those guys are reliably showing up at races and reliably placing one, two pretty much every time they show up. They don't seem to have bad days, and they just seem to be harnessing something from obviously years now and through their development and and into their professional careers really leveraging science in ways that a lot of other professionals haven't done and you have to think that everybody is sitting up and paying attention and noticing this and so it, it does make me wonder if you have science backing up your training, if you have science sort of predicting and telling you that this is what is, you know, you've set yourself up, this is what you can expect, then I wonder if the mental part becomes easier it becomes easier to show up and feel confident and feel like you're in the zone because you can trust what you've seen through your data, through your metrics and everything else. And yeah, I I don't know. I I think that the proof will be in the pudding. If other athletes start to gravitate to what we've seen with those two guys, or alternatively, is there just something about those two guys that makes them just really excel under that kind of regime and would other people not be able to do it so i i don't know the, it's still an open-ended question i don't i don't know if you have thoughts on that
0: it's yeah it's a, it's an excellent excellent points that you're you're bringing here indeed i i feel like i mean like the the four minute mile i mean it was it was very hard to to contemplate that and and once it was broken you had you had a Tons of people, I mean, relatively small tons, but still a lot of people were able to make it because that that now was doable. And I think the same is happening in in the Ironman distance for sure with these guys crushing it and and setting a completely different benchmark for what performance should be. And everybody knows that that's doable. So indeed, the fact that you know, backed by science, that you're capable of, it's definitely part of the mental training to put them in the right mindset. You can do it. And I think I was to you that I think made that comment about about them saying that, yeah, they are so confident in their data that they know they can execute to perfection. And I think that's definitely something that is helping those guys to achieve what they are achieving is that extraordinary level of confidence in their ability to deliver on race day and that's quite incredible
1: Yeah, it really is. Something we all aspire to. Well, Eric, I I can't thank you enough for taking some time to chat with me today about Humango and about AI and science in general and how it informs our training and racing. I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of impact Humango has on athletes as they come into the sport and on coaches who uh, make use of it. I will uh, certainly be following along and I look forward to seeing you out at the races uh, locally uh, sometime in the future. Eric Abacasis is a uh, French national who now makes his home in Boulder, Colorado, where he is the founder and CEO of Humango, an application that you can use on your phone to help with AI-generated training plans. And uh, if you want to find out more about Humango, I will have the link to the website as well as all of their socials in the show notes. Eric, thanks so much again for joining me on the TriDoc podcast today. And uh, good luck to you and uh, the team.
0: Thank you very much, Jeff, for
1: having me. And that's it for another episode. The Trydoc Podcast is produced and edited by me, Jeff Sankoff, along with my interns.
2: I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? <laughs> no relation. I'm, uh...
1: I'm Jeff Sankoff, uh, the, the Trydoc. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. Those interns are Ian Johnson and Ben Johnson. You can find the show notes for everything discussed on the show today as well as archives of previous episodes at tridocpodcast.com. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode or do you have a question that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? send me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com or join the private TriDoc Podcast Facebook group on Facebook and you can submit your questions there. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit TriDocCoaching.com or LifesportCoaching.com where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the TriDoc Podcast Facebook page, TriDoc Coaching on Instagram, and the TriDoc Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. And of course, there's always the option of becoming a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at reverbnation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another medical question for me to answer and another interview with someone in the world of multisport. Until then, remember 1121 and train hard, train healthy.